Welcome to Podcast 45. In number 45, we're going to be talking to Donald Shen of San Diego Fire Department about the San Diego Fire Department's technical rescue team and some interesting rescues that uh, rescue scenarios that they have in their district at the zoo at SeaWorld and a rescue they did from the SeaWorld gondola back in February of last year. So here we go, San Diego Fire. All right, so on the podcast today from San Diego, we have Donald Chen. Donald is a firefighter, a technical rescue specialist down there with San Diego Fire. And we're going to chat a little bit about San Diego Fire's tech rescue and an incident that they've had at SeaWorld on the gondola. Welcome to the podcast, Donald. Uh, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. No problem. It's uh, How's it in San Diego right now? Well, we are, again, uh, like our conversation earlier, we had uh, a week's worth of rain, so we're definitely not used to that. And uh, the sun's out, and I, we're expecting, trying to keep people in the in their homes, but I think people are going to be going stir-crazy, so they're going to want to venture out, but we'll hopefully not see too much social gathering and around there, so we'll... Otherwise, the, the sun's been great. Yeah, yeah, I know I feel at that. I live about four hours from where I work out, out in Metro Vancouver. I'm about four hours. And a lot of the times driving back and forth to work, like I could count on one hand the number of cars coming home this time. Like I was in rush hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was, it was, we've seen a little bit more traffic in the, a lot of people have described that like, I thought we were supposed to be, you know, work supposed to be in the homes but i think like we were talking earlier there's a lot of people are saying they can't stay home enough and they got to continue the you know the normal life has to work and keep going so uh there may there's a little bit more traffic out there but it's not as heavy as it usually is that we're used to in california yeah absolutely i bet that so um Technical rescue. How long have uh, you been in San Diego? How long have you been a firefighter down there? Uh, I've been a firefighter paramedic for about 12 years now. Just came up uh, just past 12 and been on the tech rescue team since 2012. I've uh, been and then been permanently stationed at our tech rescue team since 2014. And uh, we have two type one heavy rescues one of them is cross staff the other one's a full-time staff uh at our station we also have a regular pump uh, engine as well and that kind of augments our team and though that those guys on the pump are also technical rescue teams uh qualified as well and uh, so we generally if it's a legitimate incident we roll as a package so we usually have uh if it's a legitimate, legitimate technical rescue team, we'll have at least eight guys that are TRT qualified. And then we can call for that second uh, technical rescue team uh, if need be, if the incident kind of progresses uh, into something larger. Right on. And now you mentioned type one. So for the people that aren't North American based, you're talking FEMA USART uh, typing. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a type one use our uh team that basically that the fema has a set list of equipment and the set list of personnel that you're supposed to be able to provide and also the capabilities of that unit um so we carry everything from rope rescue to swift water to trench rescue to you know i always say we have we're a home depot on wheels uh, we could build a small fort if we needed to, <laughs> per se. A tree fort company. But, yeah, yeah. So, um, and now to get on to the team, uh, I know California has a, a couple of different uh, standards or you know requirements. I guess is probably a better word for people when it comes to technical rescue. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, our tech rescue team. We for our department. Uh, we have a core of eight classes that you have to kind of uh, get before you're fully vetted as a as a technician for the team, and that includes at the time right now it's rescue systems one, uh, rescue systems two, structural collapse, 
trench rescue, auto X, rope rescue technician, and confined space. And uh, and then there's a third one of uh, structural collapse three um, that you have to obtain before you're kind of kind of more or less you know vetted as a technician on the team. Um, but to start off with, our minimum requirement is uh, to be on the relief list um, is rescue systems one, rescue systems two, trench and confined space. And then the other four you can kind of get as you uh, progress um, along. Okay. Um, for the viewers that don't understand the California system, can you just do a quick what's in rescue systems one and two just so that... <sighs> International um, listeners, viewers, yeah. Yeah, rescue, our rescues, yeah, our rescue systems one and two are based off of uh, kind of structural collapse type methodologies. There's a little bit of rope complemented on uh, component to it. And then there is, uh, but a lot of uh, learning how to build shores, how to um, lift heavy objects, um, how to move patients over uh, difficult terrain. And those are kind of the, the gist of those two classes in, in itself. Um, and then there's a structural collapse component, which deals with breaking and breaching and dealing more with concrete and heavy machinery. And um, so those, those are the parts of kind of are required for the USAR um, component that FEMA, excuse me, that FEMA likes. Okay, it's sort of like the building blocks for your USAR program. Yeah, exactly. And we kind of follow the federal guidelines of, uh, we're starting to follow those, those same guidelines that seems to be, uh, you know, being adopted across the, the country with awareness operations and technicians. So, um, I think that's where our, I guess, in terms of rescue, is everybody's headed in that direction. Right on. Um, how do you know how long San Diego fires had a technical rescue team? Like, do you know when it sort of began there? Yeah, officially, I believe it started. I I, I was initially part of the when I started. It was applied for. It was in I think it was around 2012. Um, I might be off by a year or two. Um, but that was around then. And then, um, you know, I became full-time around, you know, I was able to bid into that station in 2014. But the, uh, TRT itself, it started in the 2010 sort of time or yeah, old... I would say 2011, 2012. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. And equipment wise. People always want to know what kind of gear you're running. Are you running like twin tension systems, 12 and a half? What are we talking here? Yeah, we're we're on the uh, the standard fire department North American half inch rope, 13 mil. Uh, our tech rescue team we run for harnesses. We use the Petzl Aveo harness, and um, we use MPDs. We have we still have some micro racks floating around. Uh, we do the last couple of years. We switch. Uh, I helped implement the Petzl ASAP as a backup device, and um, we also have Petzl IDs. Okay. Now we chatted a little bit before we came online just about the evolution of rescue and the equipment and rescue teams in the last, you know, number of years. Have you seen a lot of changes or a lot of evolution in your team down there? Uh, yeah, we have, uh, since I've been on, um, we've kind of implemented the biggest one would be the, you know, the Petzl ASAP as a backup device. Uh, we've all, we were already kind of, uh, experimenting with the twin tension system and we had gone or mirrored system. And now we solely go with, by that mirrored system, um, exclusively unless there's different situations that you know dictate otherwise but for the most part uh we've in terms of equipment we've you know we got the vortexes and um 
kind of, I would say most, what most tech rescue teams are now running uh, nowadays, we've, we've got that equipment and um, a lot of people are still um, uh, I would say they're still getting used to it and, but they're, they're, they're quickly seeing the advantages of using that pieces of equipment instead of the, the standard rescue aid or the brake bar rack. So there is some resistance to change, but once the individuals kind of see that this change is actually making life easier and the training level is, you know, dropped a little bit on the number of pieces, you're getting a little bit more positive feedback then. Yeah, that would be, that'd be correct. Yeah. Well, the, you know, when I've heard stories before when the Aztec set of fours came along, um, we had guys that, you know, weren't huge fans of it. They're, they thought like, how are those little tiny pulleys going to work so well, you know? And when it finally became mainstream, they're like, Oh, we should have one on. Everybody should carry one. And we, they used to have maybe just one, like they only had like two sets. And then now each, uh, operator, um, now carries a set with them because they see the advantages of being able to use that device in a multitude of situations and um you know then now they can't live without it so right so in regards to training what sort of training requirements do you have once you're on the team uh the one the training requirements we have is we have quarterly drills um so every three months we create a we have a subject whether it be trench uh, structural collapse, auto X, rope rescue, and and or confined space, and we kind of pick a topic and um, we invite the guys out for about three, two to three days for four to six hours, depending on the uh, topic, and basically try to get everybody a refresher and, and touch people on the for the people that aren't around it full time that are normally stationed at that station, it gives those relief guys an opportunity to keep their skills sharp. Right on. Now you've also mentioned that you do some annual training with SeaWorld and the San Diego zoo. And before we talk about, you know, the incidents that you've had there, what kind of training do you perform with them on an annual basis? Uh, yeah. So we, for at it, our tech rescue team, we, we've identified a couple uh, target hazards, per se, and one of them is the SeaWorld gondola ride. Uh, they call it the Sky Ride. And then uh, the SeaWorld Tower, which is a kind of a, an observation tower that they have at the park. And uh, we also do the same type of um, annual training at the San Diego Zoo. And they have a gondola system that is much larger than the SeaWorld one. And both, both rides are, are uh, the sea, the zoo one, the zoo ride is a little bit older. It was built back in the late seventies, I believe. Um, and it, it was an interesting fact when we first started training, I start first trying to start training on it. Those gondolas are the exact same gondolas back in the 80s uh, 70s and 80s and that they use they just have repainted them and so it's kind of a neat little bit of history behind that whole system and their backup system is you know if the mo the main motor goes down it's i was told that it's like an old volkswagen engine that will drive those gondolas around if if the primary engine breaks down so it's kind of some interesting things and you're like wow you're constant you're dependent on on that that motor but it's never happened before for them so it's i guess it still works sometimes the old stuff's the most reliable stuff <laughs> exactly i'm sure it is and they said that 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 little engine can do it and so it's never broken down they keep up with the maintenance and you know good quality craftsmanship on that stuff and I guess it's uh, uh, it still works. Now you had mentioned the cables 
for the San Diego Zoo itself. Did you want to chat about those just about, you know, maybe some of the listeners that have gondolas or rides like this in their areas? Something you had discussed with us prior about getting on those cables. Yeah, and so we have the the San Diego Zoo. We have to climb the tower. There's like a caged uh, ladder tower that gets you up onto top of the tower. And to access those cables, you have to, you know, straddle out to um, the rollers where the cable just runs over the tower. And um, we use a lobster claws or basically we call them lobster claws, but those giant carabiners that allow us twin lanyard bypass lanyards. And then we clip them to each section and the gaps between the, the, the rollers and kind of inch our way out. And we then uh, use a, uh, basically a roller carriage, clip it onto the cable and lower ourselves off of that. And it's kind of, for for some someone that's never done the drill before, uh, we've done the walk. We'll do the walk through with them, you know, uh, on the ground or the, usually the day before, and kind of prep them through it. And but it's always a, a an eye opener for some guys that haven't been put into a an area in a situation where the exposure seems a little bit more sketchier than normal. Um, but um, once you kind of get going on, once you get yourself on the cable, um, you have to, you know, then scurry yourself off, like, you know, scamper yourself along the cable, uh, out to the cars. And, um, that also is in, uh, if you're not positioned correctly, we always give people the, you know, a couple hints to keep your harnesses tight, keep your rigging tight, because if you, are too low you're going to be your arms or your forearms are going to get super pumped that you can't reach the cable and then now you're stuck and then someone else has to someone has to come get you <laughs> and now that cable system is different than the one at SeaWorld. and is that just because of age or design i think it's just by design the SeaWorld one uh there was a platform that allows you to the cables are set above the platform. So you are actually under the cable as opposed to being above it. And you, they have a platform that you extends out. And once you get on that platform, you can just easily clip the cable and then just sit down. And then now you're on the cable system. So you're not, um, it's a a little bit easier access than, the San Diego Zoo one, and I think that's only because the zoo one was is built first. Yeah, so you've got that potential for a fall factor in there when you're on top of it. Correct, and when the zoo, the zoo one, you have to be a little bit more cognizant of where you're stepping and making sure that you're adding before you're subtracting, and making sure your connections are always good before you uh, lower yourself down onto the cable system. Now, the other one you'd mentioned was the tower at SeaWorld. Now, well, how tall is that, and what does that look like? As far as yeah, the tower is a 300-foot tower, approximately, uh, and there's an observation capsule that ascends this tower, and people get inside, and it's a ride that SeaWorld has, and um, I don't know when it was built. Um, I know when I was a kid, it was there, and... As you, it goes up, it spins in a circle, and it's on a, it's like a giant elevator. The interior, the interior of the tower, there's a, um, a ladder that goes all the way to the top. And so the drill that we do annually with them on the tower is we actually climb the tower, set up a rope system, rappel down to the actual capsule where there's a roof access, and then. There's also a, a access from the, it's a two-story or two-level capsule. So you're going to have people um, on both decks. And so you're, you're going to be able to access them through a series of hatches. And basically, once those, your team comes down, we will drop rope lines down to pick up harnesses from the ground. And then we'll set up our anchor systems and we will, you know, set up a two-line system uh, 
and um, start harnessing people up and then lower them out of the gondola. Now, SeaWorld has done a great job at, you know, they uh, get their employees to participate. So they give us um, basically victims that volunteer to do it. And so it, it helps our team out because sometimes we have people that aren't familiar, they're afraid of heights or they've never done it before. And so it gives our team the opportunity to, to be able to coach people, you know, what it might really be like when, you know, in an actual event. And it's, it's a good um, opportunity for us to be able to train like that because, you know, oftentimes, you know, we'll use our own firefighters as, as victims. And we kind of understand, we already know a little bit of the lingo or what's going to happen, but we don't forget how to like, Oh, make sure you keep your feet wide and, you know, sit down and load the system. And so we don't, Rarely do we get to, you know, practice that. And it's a good th uh, thing that SeaWorld provides that for us. Um, um, so it's, it's uh, allows our guys to get that experience, which I think is very valuable. That's an interesting point you bring up because you're absolutely right. Most times when we train, it's just with firefighters. And I mean, there's huge liabilities, obviously, with what I'm going to say here. But, you know, to bring a local school over or, you know, something along those lines where you now have people that have no idea of the systems that are going to be used, may have phobias of spaces or heights or something else just in its entirety. And putting those types of people through that drill I think you're going to get some really different time assessments when you're done that as to what your duration of incident is going to be, as well as just the, what you have to do as a rescuer to coax and to work with people to get them in to some of these systems. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you, you tell them, tell them to, you know, how that, what's going to be happening, what they're feeling, what's, you know, you try to make it fun for them and, um, you know, just think of it as a ride and you're totally safe. And, you know, and usually they're, they're fairly receptive to that. You know, occasionally you, you get the guy, a couple people that are fairly cautious uh, on that, on getting out there. But uh, we've pretty much have gotten everybody out the door without any issues. Um, and they've been, you know, once they get down that, you know, they're ecstatic about the whole <laughs> the whole experience so um it's kind of neat yeah it's um a bit of a tangent we had to redo a, a massive flag out here in metro van and it's up a what's been termed now as a confined space so we actually have to go do an entry to go up to the top of this and it's it's a massive massive canadian flag they have flying and when we're up there some of the employees of the organization are like hey could we rappel down with you or things like this and some of the folks that we've got up there that you would think would be like all for this, once they get up that 220 feet and look down, they're like, yeah, I'm just, I'm done. And some of the other people that you would have thought maybe would have been a little shaky, they get up there and they love it. So you really don't know, right? Yeah. You don't really know until I, I know, like, you know, you take your friend, I, I love climbing recreationally and you take your friends out there and they want to learn how to repel or. Or, you know, they, they think that they're, you know, you'll, the people that you think are great are going to do fine. And then you'll see the people that, you know, you'll think they'll do fine, but they don't do so, don't do so well. So you don't, there's something that, that plays in your mind when, once you get up, get up there and you realize, oh, we're actually really high. <laughs> so that whole always, thing comes into play. <laughs> it, it is, it does, it does. So now you guys had a gondola incident there a couple years back now. Is that correct? Yeah. I, and I think it was actually my time was a little bit off. I thought it was 18, but it was actually February 9, 2019. Yeah. So just about a little bit over a year and a half ago. And um, it happened around 630 in the evening um, when we got dispatched. I was actually working. Uh, overtime at our other technical rescue station that is cross-staffed and we get the call at SeaWorld that there's cars stuck and so 
when you know it was right after dinner i distinctly remember and we're like oh this is gonna happen you know and because we talk about you know every year we train on this and you know they talk about the backup systems and we go well this is you know the like like anything it's the 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 likelihood of it ever ever happening you know it's fairly slim and then when yeah and then so when it finally happens and you're like wow this is actually gonna do this is actually gonna happen and so what happened is i guess at that time and it was very strange because there was a significant wind event and what had happened the wind blew so fast that it was moving the gondolas around and they have this communications cable that was running parallel on the interior between the two cables so you know you have the cable that runs out and then it circles around back well there's two comm cables that run on the inside the wind was pushing the gondolas and the cables around so much that one of the comm cables caught on one of the cars and as it passed through the tower it started pulling on the cable to a point where they actually pulled the cable off the top rollers on the tower onto the tower so then it just dead stopped so now the system you know even backup systems weren't going to be able to move that system because the entire cable had been dislodged and you're talking the gondola cable not the calm cable yeah the gondola cable And so that was, it was one of those things where you're like, well, they're definitely stuck out there. You know, they're not going to be able to get out without us. And so um, when we arrived, um, you know, we set up and normally the way we train, we train with the two man teams. And we have a, uh, when you get out to the, because of the gondolas, they only hold about four people. So imagine trying to stick a rescuer in there with equipment it becomes tight corners so the way that we operate is once we access those the towers the the, your two-man team will go out to the gondola Uh, one guy stays on the roof of the gondola and the other uh, member will actually climb down into the gondola and then set up a rope system inside and then the second guy on top also becomes the second um setups another rope system for the secondary line and so once you get inside then you get the 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 people harnessed up and then you know you open the door and then you you know do the thing that we talked about you know coach them through what's going to happen and and then kind of lower them down Another challenge behind this is that the gondola system at SeaWorld is over water. So then we have to coordinate with boats to come underneath to catch all these people. And so during the incident, we had like two or three boats that were out there. Our our lifeguards came out to assist as well. And and, uh, so there was a total of five cars that were were stuck. And, And a total of 16 people ended up being evacuated and just about a little bit over four hours that it took us to complete the uh, last uh, member to get off the whole ride but that's awesome so obviously i've got a few questions yeah (laughs) um so let's just start and there's these are in no particular order you mentioned a wind event caused the cable to skip and was that wind still in effect when you were out there doing the rescue? No, that that was what was strangest. Uh, a strange um, part about that is when I we all arrived, there barely was any wind at all, and um, so it was very very bizarre because like I guess the a couple other things like the the tower at SeaWorld, that that system slowly like stopped abruptly from what i've heard it stopped abruptly for a little bit and they were able to get it started again so it was a very freak wing gust that came through for obviously for a a a duration of time that it was able to cause them to dislodge the uh the cable yeah okay 
Um, what was the average distance to the ground from the cars? The distance for the grounds, they vary from, it's about 75 feet, 80 okay. feet. So it's a, it's a good distance. And then um, the zoo, uh, the one that we do, we actually have a span that's almost 100 and 100 and 100 plus feet and change. So um, in addition to, you know, you may be lowering into uh, a gorilla cage and, you know, we, we always joke about it and you're like, oh yeah, who's going to get dropped into the gorilla cage today? And so, and the zoo, and I forgot to mention this before, like we've, over the years, we've had to develop, um, we, we always talked to, you know, when we practice, we used to just, oh, we lowered straight down. Well, what happens if that person is over an area that you can't go straight down? What would we have to do? And so we created a, a system, uh, a method to transfer people from car to car to get them into a clear um lowering position so that we can drop them straight down because there are certain areas at least over at the zoo where they're completely covered by trees there's a bird aviary that's basically a net system you know a net cage that you know we can't drop people on and so there's there's a lot of kind of logistical issues that we have to deal with on on that specific ride that we've recently over the last couple of years started practicing and um but for the the sea world incident we just have to kind of go straight down but we do have to communicate with the boat operator to catch our uh catch our our, our patients okay i'll get back to sea world in a sec but you've piqued my interest here uh, <laughs> when you're moving people laterally from car to car what's what how are you doing that so it kind of like a highline system. Um, we actually take our roller, um, uh, our roller that we use to get out there and yeah. we hook it onto the cable and we've used a set of fours and a secondary attachment to that system. And we'll trail our bypass lanyard on the back as a secondary attachment to the, uh, cable. And we have two control lines and the set of fours drops down to the door. Our, our, my, the first rescuer hook up the, uh, the patient and then basically kind of push them out the door and around the car. And the, the team on the far car will just basically pull them across and then bring them into the next cab and then switch the whole system and then descend them out of, out of the car. And now, are you using like a Harkin roller or a Petzl roller? For it's a cases? Petzl. It's a Petzl roller, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's very cool. So basically, you're using the cable as your track line, as a high line system, and hooking up a sort of a Ex modified high line underneath it. Exactly. And that's, you know, granted, it, it, yeah, we keep use that as a high line and we just use rope, a couple ropes. And um, obviously, if we're planning on doing that the first guy that's going to the next car has to trail rope uh with them so that they have a control line to bring that victim to them so that's those are kind of some logistical issues that you have to kind of plan for but um but that's Although using kind of, a slingshot to nail a messenger line between cars with patients in them would be entertaining <laughs> as well <laughs> it, it would it would require us to be very good at throwing <laughs> off a moving platform onto another moving platform. <laughs> yeah, we'll skip that. But sorry, back to the uh, SeaWorld rescue. What's the distance between the cars? Like you've got to have rescuers go out to these individual cars, these gondola cars. What is the Yeah, and the, the distance varies because it depends on the number of people that are um, at the park. And okay. so what can happen is uh, at this in this particular incident, what they do is they actually remove those cars at the end of the day. And so SeaWorld was closing for the evening. And so this last group of people were um, getting off the ride and then they would dismantle. The, they would take the car off and put it into their storage area. And 
Um, so it depends on what the number of cars. I know I don't know how many cars can go on SeaWorld, but I know that at the zoo, we they say they have a capacity to have a total of 40 cars. And so, you know, with a max capacity of four people in each one, you do the math. And um, I know that I've timed myself trying to get from climbing the tower, getting out to the first car and dropping the first victim uh, efficiently with a, you know, a, an efficient partner, I can probably get it done in about 20 minutes. Um, and so, and depending on how many people you have in the car and all those that, you know, kind of do the math and you kind of figure out, you know, for, for, for that many, if that actually does happen, we have it planned in the in in for the zoo or the Sea World, that all the guys that are on the relief list, they have a callback uh, number that will call them back and come down, and we're gonna get you suited up and try and help out because that's gonna be a lot of people that we have to get off if we can't Absolutely. get them all down. So, okay, um, you talk about with the Sea World, you're over water. And you're lowering them into boats. Now, do you have San Diego fire staff on those boats? Like, do you have communication with those boats? Or is that... Um, SeaWorld, yeah, we have... Usually we have a uh, somebody will... Uh, usually an operations personnel will be on a boat. Um, SeaWorld has a couple boats. And then our San Diego lifeguards, which are under the fire department, they have a couple boats as well. And so they were able to come out um, to Mission Bay and basically offer their, their services as a platform to, to, to catch all these people. Excellent. So you've got comms and it's people that you have some confidence in working with then. Yes, exactly. So that's yeah. definitely a, a team-based effort. All right. So four-hour event, what was the total number of fire department rescue staff that were on scene? Do you know? Yeah, we had a for the technical rescue team. We had base the 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 three companies, so we had twelve right off the bat. Um, we had a couple relief guys that were uh, working at other stations that were able to come down and help out as well. Um, so we had about probably sixteen to twenty like qualified guys that ended up showing up to help out and. Um, but at the same time, you know, there was five cars and we had five teams, you know, five teams out there and, you know, you can only get so many people out on those, those cables. Yeah. Just thinking about it, you know, kind of out loud, you have five cars, you're talking about a two person team. There's 10, you got a couple people, you know, two, three boats, you got a guy down there. There's three, four staff. Yeah. Up, there's 14 incident commander safety officer you're into 16 staff like without blinking an eye yeah so we definitely called more you know we called guys that were off duty that are very you know the off go off duty uh guys that are permanent at our station they all a couple of those guys were able to show up and brought their gear and um they were kind of on standby and um we're able to to kind of get it all done. Um, one thing that was kind of interesting also, so the one car that was caught on the communications cable was out in the middle, and it happened to be the last car. And again, like, you know, how we talk about training for ideal situations. Well, this cable was on this car. It was crossing the cable, the main cable. So as they were rollering out, this comm cable is still stuck on it. So they can't get past that spot. And so you almost, you had to do this almost kind of transfer from, you had to get that roller cable off and then move it past that obstruction where that cable had crossed. And it's kind of hard to like describe it, but that, that well, was one of the situations that, you know, we never encountered or never thought of. And so ever since that incident, we were, we've been talking about and to simulate it. We, at, at our own station, we have what's kind of like an up and over where they have to ascend a, a, a series of ropes and then 
scoot across a, a rope line and we'll throw like a, a knot in there and the guy will have to like try and get past that knot off of his roller and so we've had a couple there's a couple methodologies that we've tried to implement and then um so we're we're working on that and yeah a little bit of sprat horizontal aid may come into play there too exactly and so that's one of those things that you know later in our discussion is how both of the, you know when i went through sprat training i was able to kind of see that like oh wow this could work out you know for our our team and so so a lot of those methodologies that we implement there's some stuff that we already implement have we've been implementing you know even before the sprat but um it's kind of uh uh something that we've always done and it's kind of interesting to see that we can apply it now <laughs> right on what was the temperature i mean we're california but i don't know what time you said it was he, february yeah it was february and of course it was you know 40 degrees and so i got by the time i was done uh i was pretty cold i ended up going to two cars and getting six people out and so that was um you know that was the other thing that we actually talked about in our after action is that you know if there were even more cars they had us you know they were given a space blanket but you know we may have to we were there were talks about do how do we get more supplies to all these people you know because we can only rescue so fast and these people are going to have to wait and you know um and obviously you know little kids that are getting tired or scared or you know you know how do we triage all that and so that was a little bit of um a challenge for us because we were trying to get intel and we're like well let's try and get the little kids off first or the people that are you know have health issues or 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 some kind of other problems that can't stay up there as long you know maybe they don't have a jacket they're just in a t-shirt you know and at some point they're going to start feeling getting cold to the bone and so that was another thought of like how can we do we need to have a team that once you triage who's on out there is have a team that just drops off even more blankets or you know supplies that you know because it may be a while before we get out to you and so um that was also kind of in the talks for in the plans if it ever happens again that's really interesting right do you do you spend more time doing some reconnaissance and then pulling off like you say in a triaged manner or do you just started as you know first come first serve or you know and it definitely brings up some points so you have pregnant people up there young kids people that have other medical conditions where maybe you got to bypass a car and get into a different car to get people out yeah exactly and that's that was one of those things like it ended up unfortunately like i you know i wanted there was supposedly reports that there was a a, a two-year-old up there we had a paraplegic and we had a bunch of children. And so that was one of those things where you're just like, okay, well, where's the kid? And I said, I wanted the kid. And so I ended up not, you know, they were like, we think it's on this tower. And so we went over there and then we had a, the kid ended up being on the other side. And so like we got to them a little bit later than we wanted to. So those are things that, you know, we like for an after action, you know, just trying to figure out how to organize the triage of where these people are was kind of difficult because they had SeaWorld had like an overhead PA system, but they weren't able, you know, the people aren't, it wasn't two way. It was just a kind of yeah. annou announcement system. Um, so they couldn't communicate with anybody on the, in, in the cars at all. So they can only basically drive around on the, in the water, looking up in the sky. And then of course it's dark and, uh, at, at night. Um, so it was hard to, hard to tell. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the last questions for me then is you talk about kids, you talk about people that, you know, paraplegic, 
Do you have specialty harnesses or anything for rescuing bariatrics, paraplegics, you know, um, special uh, populations or vulnerable populations or anything like this on board that you take up there with you? Yeah, we do. We actually have, we, for, for kids, we have, or actually, you know, infants and smaller toddlers, we have the, the CMC stork bag. Uh, we also have, we also carry 13 extra class three harnesses that we use for our victims. And, um, they're, they're just CMC class three harnesses that we use and of all sizes. Um, and then we also have, uh, a screamer suit and we kind of borrowed that from kind of the air ops, um, community and we go, Oh, I wonder if we could use this. And so, and so we used that a couple of times and the screamer suit actually for speed actually helped in the evacuation just because it was able to, it was fairly easy to wrap them up in that suit, clip them on and then put, um, lower them straight out of the car. So those, those are things that we've had to run in, um, had to, we were able to use on that incident. And, um, but one, one area that I felt was interesting was that we had to deal with young kids, kind of like the age group from the four to, I would say the 10 year olds, you know, doing the twin line system, the, the kids just didn't produce enough weight to get those systems to go. And so, you know, I had to switch to kind of like a dedicated main and, you know, dedicated belay so that there just wouldn't be that much friction on both of those devices so we can kind of lower that patient out. So those, those are some situations that arise that, you know, that we, you know, rarely ever think about. No, and that's good. That's good information to know and to pass on to other people that are listening to this that, you know, hey, you might get to stuff where there's just not enough weight to overcome the friction that those devices have in order to operate right so thank you for that um anything else from uh the rescues or any of the incidents that you want to mention or talk about um yeah i mean for the most part like we you know and the the our target hazards kind of seem to be growing as we as our community seems to grow we have you know, we've got more cranes getting put up over in, in San Diego right now. And then um, another ride that SeaWorld has kind of talked to us about developing a rescue plan. And, I, you know, we're still trying to, in the development phase right now, they have a roller coaster that's 150 feet up in the air. And it's like a giant horseshoe. They call it the electric eel. And so we're still kind of figuring out how we're going to be able to if if for some reason that roller coaster gets stuck at the very top like how are we going to get those people down and so those are things that you know in san diego is kind of uh, unique to our, our community that you know has presented problems new problems for us and makes you think and um it allows us it, it makes you think do we you know to get some more training and to keep our, keep our skills up. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's happening more and more as, you know, people will get more into the backcountry, more into rides, you know, some of these amusement parks put up more attractions for people to come and see. Obviously departments like yours are have to be able to respond to the public need that arises from that. Yeah, exactly. And even the, the, there was, talks i know about a year ago our city was thinking about putting a gondola system downtown and we're like oh my goodness you know so <laughs> to adding more to our dinner plate but again it's it's good time for technical rescue it's good to, you know it's good uh, uh a thing for us you know and you know people are always gonna i always tell people that us that you know you know in the in the technical rescue people are always going to be getting stuck in certain situations that are very unique and it requires a unique um, 
set of skills to be able to get those people off. And so that's kind of where we get to step in and create our own methodologies to, to get them off because no, no situation is the same. Um, do you do any work in regards to the ships on the waterfront there? I know you have, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, the uh, aircraft carrier there. There's a couple other ships. I know uh, the the USS Midway. um, Yeah. we, We do, uh, we've done some confined space uh, drills there. We've also done some evacuation drills where we set up um, skate blocks from the actual control tower of the aircraft carrier. Um, people have had some medical issues in uh, uh, up there and they can't get down because there's no elevator. And we've had to set up systems, rope systems, where we skate block them down to the deck And then we've had uh, confined space incidents on the shipyard. We have a Navy shipyard that's uh, constantly doing work. And we've had a number of workers go down. And so we've had to um, uh, help them out in getting them out. So uh, we do have a a good number of target hazards across uh, the county. And it's, it's kind of neat to be able to kind of go through all those areas of technical rescue and uh, we even have a rock climbing area that occasionally that uh, we will have a couple injuries on Um, but so we've got a pretty good gamut of uh, technical rescue uh, let's say environments that we have to kind of stay up on Right on. No, and that's exciting. I mean, that's what you want to do when you get onto a technical rescue team is have those varieties and be able to go out and ply the trade, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, We've been at this for just about 50 minutes now. So um, is there anything else you wanted to cover before uh, we sign off? No, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, I thought this was a kind of, um, for us, uh, a unique environment for to to talk about and you know i think it's everywhere you can always learn from everybody else and so it's it's a good you know when i start taking classes and i take classes and talk to other people about uh methodologies and and training it's it's nice to hear that everybody's very receptive in this community no and that's the best thing about the rescue community is chances are someone's had to try whatever you've got to try somewhere and just reaching out and working with each other makes both entities better as opposed to just one or the other. Yeah, exactly. So, well, thanks for coming on to the podcast here and uh, I appreciate everything that you've had to offer. No, I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark.